Welcome to the Author's Podcast with Lisa Newton. Writing a book is a dream for many people, and in today's society, it has become easier and more important than ever. If you are an expert, speaker, coach, or an authority in your field, having a book is the new business card. It can increase your credibility, enhance your status, and make you the go-to person in your field opening doors and bringing a flood of opportunities straight to you. You can increase your fees and start choosing the clients you really want to work with. The Author's Podcast Show with Lisa Newton is designed to inspire, educate and inform you, both entrepreneur and individual, on how to write a book, as well as writer's tips and strategies on how to actually get that book written. On today's show, you learn more about how to write a book, including writing ideas, marketing, and how to succeed in getting a book written. Here we go with the author's podcast, and here is your host, Lisa Newton. Hello and welcome to another episode of the author's podcast. Today, my guest is Susan M. Steele. Susan is an author coach and the founder of Write Your Genius. She works with coaches, consultants and speakers ready to write their first non-fiction book and specialises in the personal development, leadership and business categories. For the past 25 years, Susan has been writing and editing communications of all types, from museum labels to magazine articles, from website text to sales funnel copy. Susan graduated summa cum laude with a degree in English and has taken online courses in developmental editing, fiction editing and instructional design. Susan is a voracious reader and has lost count of the number of books she owns. Susan is also a fiction writer and is preparing her first novel for publication in early 2020. She is a member of the Editorial Freelancers Association and the Romance Writers of America. So I should have on the line my guest, Susan Steele. Hello, Lisa. Hello. So, Susan, let's start then with the fact you're an author coach. So how do you help authors to get their books written? Because sometimes people are really stuck and they don't know who they can turn to. And some people might not even know that people like you actually exist. So tell us how you and your business, how you help people get their books done. I really like working with an author from the very beginning of the process. Usually someone knows they have an idea, but to get from idea to finished manuscript, there's a lot of steps and it's not always easy to tell what those steps are if you've never done it before. I think just the unknown factor of writing a book just kind of scares people off just a little bit. So what I do is walk my clients through a very clear and easy process. We start talking about their business and how the book is going to fit into their business, what they want the book to do for their career. Do they want to grow their business? Do they want to start a speaking career? Then we talk about who your ideal reader is. Who do you want to read this book? Is it the same as your client in your business? Is it different? Then we get onto brainstorming and just every idea that you could possibly talk about 
get that out of your head into a format where we can look at it, move it around, add stuff, delete stuff. And from there, we can actually create an outline. And then once a writer has an outline, he, he or she can actually sit down and begin writing the first draft. If you do it in that structured process way, it's a lot easier than just saying, I want to write a book and sitting down in front of your computer and starting to type. You can start that way, but most people end up getting stuck and then they stop and then they feel frustrated. Yeah, I, I understand that. And I think if you are a coach or a consultant or a speaker, a book can really help. Absolutely. It can mm. be a huge boon to your business. The thing, especially with entrepreneurs who are just themselves, they don't really have a team. At some point, you get limited to the amount of clients that you can take on. You can only serve so many. And one of the great things a book does is it allows your wisdom and your knowledge and your expertise to get in front of so many more people than you can just one-on-one. If you do want to start a speaking career, a book is a great way to show that you know what you're talking about, you've built a business, you know how to put ideas together. That's going to be really attractive to someone who's looking to book a speaker. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... um sometimes I think particularly with a speaker if you're speaking on a topic and you've written a book about that topic if you're already speaking on the subject you've probably already got a lot of material as it is exactly you know if you're only speaking and you haven't gotten to the point where you've written a book yet you've probably already got the book you just need to get it out of your head and Mm. into a written format that's going Mm. to be attractive to your readers or your listeners Mm. no absolutely we're listening to the author's podcast with lisa newton please do subscribe to like and share this channel so if you're just tuning in i'm talking to susan Steele, who is an author coach and the founder of write to your genius and she works with coaches consultants and speakers ready to write their first non-fiction book so susan you've said that you're a, a voracious reader <laughs> Do you like to read um, self-development books or so non-fiction books or do you prefer fiction books? What type of books do you like to read? It's a pretty even mix between the two. Uh, personal development books are by far my favorite. That's what I specialized in with my business because I love those books so much. Mm-hmm. So I like to help authors create more of them. But I'm also a huge fiction fan. Um, I have been ever since I was a little You know, the nonfiction gives me ideas and helps me learn. The fiction helps me escape and relax. Uh, Yeah, I understand that. Any particular favorites? My all-time fiction favorite is Persuasion by Jane Austen. Uh I loved being an English major. I got a chance to read a lot of Victorian lit, and she was one I really liked. And for nonfiction, it changes quite often because I read so many good ones, but one of my favorites is Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's just a great book. I think everyone needs to work on their mindset at some point in their lives. It's just a great book that I recommend all the time. Yeah, I. it's funny. I was talking to someone today about having a, a positive can-do attitude because he runs marathons and he says it makes all the difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So at the moment, you're writing a fiction book. How is that process different, would you say, to writing nonfiction? Interesting question. So have you heard of National Novel Writing Month? 
No, but there's so many days and um, yeah, out there that um, I, I get alerted every day, like um, what each day is. I think today, actually, uh, day of recording, I got a notice that said it's the National um, Clear Your Virtual Desktop Day. So oh. I thought, okay, so I need to clear like my Dropbox, my Google Drive. <laughs> That's really interesting because I was just thinking yesterday that I have way too much on my my laptop, you know, on the main page. I got to get some of that stuff off because it's really messy. So apparently today is the day to do that. So, <laughs> so National Novel Writing Month takes place in November every year. It's an international movement. And the idea is really for fiction writers to stop talking about writing your book and get a first draft done of at least 50,000 words during the 30 days of November. I have done that now three times. I'm gearing up for my fourth time this year. And the book that I wrote last November is the one that I am preparing for publication for next year. Okay. So it's challenging. You know, your your average is just over 1,600 words a day every day in November to get to the 50,000. So I like the concentrated period. I like the fact that it's an international movement. There's websites and there's in-person groups, writing groups. You can uh, meet with local chapters so you can network with other people who are doing the same thing you're doing at the same time. There's just a lot of energy around it, which I find really helpful for getting that first draft done. Mm. And do, do you have a routine? Do you find that you write better in the day or at night or you have to get away? Yeah, no, for me, I can write pretty much everywhere i say probably middle of the day and early evening are my best times to write i'm fortunately i have never experienced writer's block when i've written fiction so usually whenever i sit down i can get some words on the page now i might not like them the next day i might edit them considerably but i can usually get words on the page pretty easily What would you say to people who can't, who have that, that, oh, staring at a blank page? Well, one of the reasons that I'm so insistent on outlines for my nonfiction authors is because then when you get down to actually writing, you don't have to make any decisions about what to write. You just Mm -hmm. follow your outline. Mm -hmm. And for people who have writer's block for fiction, something is missing. Either Mm -hmm. you don't really know why you're doing this, you don't know enough about your plot and your characters and where they need to go. There's always something behind that inability to write. Mm. And you need to figure out what that thing is. To me, it's always, you know, to me, you have to know what's happening next, even if you're only one or two scenes ahead. But it's hard to, you know, especially for fiction, since I've never had that problem, it's a mm. to define what that thing is. Mm. When you write fiction, do you have the whole story sort of kind of in your mind or does it sort of develop bit by bit? Can you see the ending? Is the ending already in sight from the beginning or when you first write or does it kind of change as you go along or, you know, unravel itself? The story itself stays pretty consistent. I mean, usually I'll have an idea. I know where I want to end up. So that gives me ideas of where I want to start. When I wrote last year's novel, the thing that really surprised me was how much my characters changed throughout the story in ways that I had not anticipated at all. 
um, my heroine ended up being a lot more feisty than I thought she was going to be. And it was a very weird process. I've heard other authors say, you know, the character tells me what to do. I had never experienced that <laughs> until last year, but it actually, that's exactly what happens. My characters told me how they wanted to be, and it kind of changed the story a little bit. The basic plot, though, of where I wanted to end up was the same. Okay. And in the writing, so it was a consistent period of, you know, at least 50,000 words in the, the November. And then did you stop in December or did you just keep going or did you slow down? Because, you know, you said you had that intense period and then you've, did, did you leave it and come back to it or did you just keep working I, on it? I did come back to it. When I got to the 50,000 words by November 30th, my story wasn't done yet. So I did want to finish it. And so I wrote another 20,000 words or so by the end of December. So it's, it's around, it's just under 70,000 words right now. Mm. And then I put it aside for two months. I knew that I needed to edit, but I also knew that I was too close to it at that point. So I just put it away. I didn't even pick it up again until the spring of this year. And now I've done a second draft. I think it needs a little bit more tweaking and then it'll be ready for an editor to see. Uh, that's interesting. So sometimes, you know, you can work and work and work at something, but when you actually just put it down, leave it and come back to it, you can see it with a fresh pair of eyes. Exactly. So. Yeah. I think everyone needs that little bit of distance. Because you're just not objective enough about it when you've been living that story, you know, especially when I do it in this concentrated period where I'm literally working on it every day. You really need that distance to be able to see it with fresh eyes. I've never actually written a novel, but I did I did write one and then I, I, I left it, but I've left it for years. Um, well, I've, maybe about a year or two. I've not touched it again. And, um, you know, just talking to you now and I'm thinking, OK, November, I, I really need to pick it back up again and, and, and read it and just see what I think now, having wrote it. You know, it all came out. It's yeah, it's um, it's, and I always think it's it's very interesting to me. Sometimes it's like even when you you've got a book and you, you read the book and then you you leave it and then you come back to it at, at another time, mm-hmm. you can just pick something completely different out of the book that you just didn't see the first time round. Perhaps because you're in a different place now, or just because you're a different, almost a different person, kind of. But it's interesting when you you come back to something, how it can change. I totally agree. I have books that I reread all the time. And every time I reread them, I find something new that I didn't notice before. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's why I love reading so much, because you can even read the same book over and over again, and you'll get layer after layer every time you reread it. Mm, absolutely. You were listening to The Author's Podcast with me, your host, Lisa Newton. You can email me, lisa at lisanewton.co.uk. And remember, we have The Inner Circle, which is for writers just like you. And you can join us at writerbook.net. So if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Susan Steele, who is an author coach and the founder of Write Your Genius. She works with coaches, consultants, speakers who are ready to write their first nonfiction book and specializes in the personal development and leadership and business categories. So, Susan, have you written fiction books? 
I've now participated in National Novel Writing Month three times, and I'm getting ready for the fourth time this year. So I have three complete fiction stories. I'll be honest that the first two I don't think will ever see the light of day. I call those my practice novels. Oh, I'm, I'm glad really? I did them. Yeah, I'm glad I did them, but. I think both of them would need so much more work. I'd rather write something new because I can see my growth as a writer, especially after last year. So therefore, then, there's an important message there that one shouldn't feel pressurised, really, to to publish or put forward something if uh, or one of their first books if they would prefer not to and they've written something else. Absolutely. I mean, Mm. you know, every time you write more, Mm. more fiction, more fiction, you're going to get better and better and better. Mm. I look at the the first one that I wrote, which was back in 2012, and I cringe at some places. I'm like, why did I say that? That some of it was clunky and awkward. But for the experience, I still wrote a whole story in 30 days. And that gave me the confidence to do it again and again and again. And you do improve. One of the things I think that I found really helpful, so the book I wrote last year is a Regency romance. Uh, The book I'm writing this year, again, will be another Regency romance. I read Regency romances all the time. I find it so much easier to write in that genre when I read in that genre. Because I know what the expectations of the reader are. I know what the expectations of the plots are and the characters, so... You know, if you want to write a thriller, read a lot of thrillers. And it's not about copying someone else's style. It's about understanding what a good thriller story is and how one fits together so that you can write one of your own. And just for the listeners and for me, actually, just what what is a Regency romance? So the romance genre itself is is huge. Romance actually sells better than all other fiction genres combined. Oh. It's huge. Regency romances take place between 1811 and 1820. Okay. It's very specific. It was during the Regency period in England when... George III, I think, had his son managing the affairs of state because he couldn't do it. So it's incredibly specific. And to me, that I kind of like the challenge of writing something different, even though you've got certain rules that you have to follow. And does it have to be set in a certain place or it's just that certain time? Most of them take place in England, and the vast majority of them do, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. So really then, books have a a format, a a, a setting, and certain types of books follow that format. And I suppose the readers... They know kind of know what to expect, but there's a format to it. So I suppose um, it's understanding what that is and um, being able to to write in that way. Ah, Regency romances. One of the reasons I enjoy them so much is because they always have a happy ending. Ah! Always, every single time, they have a happy ending. And to me, it's a nice balance with some of the nonfiction that I read. can get a little heavy sometimes. Um, I like, besides, you know, personal development, I read history, I read biographies. But I always know when I pick up a Regency romance that it's going to be a happy ending. And I really like that. Yeah. And you are a member of the Romance Writers of America. I am. 
so what does that organization do is it uh, do people get to you know swap work or share paragraphs and get feedback or it's partly that it's just a group that supports romance writers in general so they support any romance writer from any kind of time period any place they do a lot of education they have classes they have webinars they hold a conference every year and it really is just to allow romance writers to connect with each other and learn from each other there's a lot of benefits to being in it you get access to other people in the process that you would need. So it's a great way to find a copy editor, a proofreader, a cover designer, because you know if they belong to that group, they understand the requirements of the genre, So, um, which I think is very important, particularly mm. with editing. I think you want someone to edit your romance who knows what the expectations of that particular romance are. You know, if it's a Regency romance, there's certain things you can do with your characters, certain things you can't do with your characters. And I think an editor can be really helpful in giving you guidance on, you know, what's expected by the reader. Okay. So for the role of the editor, do they change what has been written or can they just give you feedback as to this is what needs to change? Do they change it or do they give the feedback to the author and the author changes it? There's different types of editing that you can choose to have done. So you could have a first rough draft and have a developmental edit. And a developmental edit is really an editor helping you through with the characters and the structure and the plot. Does it make sense? Does it follow a logical order? Do you lose your reader at any point? In that case, you're getting very specific feedback on how to better structure the book. But if you're already done, you've done a couple of drafts, you're the author, you're ready to show it to an editor, it kind of depends on what you want. They could just be reading it for spelling and grammar and those kinds of things. They could be reading it to make sure that you're not introducing any historical inaccuracies, for example, in a Regency oh. romance. You know, you're not talking yeah, about, say, a food that really isn't popular yet or clothing that really is out of the wrong time. Yeah, or they picked up the mobile phone and it's 1811. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, if you tell your editor ahead of time, and it's, again, depending on the editor, for the bigger structural pieces, that's going to be an editor saying, you know, I think you need to do this. You need to change your plot here. This character doesn't sound quite right. With copy editing, it's more on a sentence by sentence basis and, you know, something that might not make sense. When I edit, because I do a little bit of editing of both fiction and nonfiction, mm. to me, it's pointing things out to the author and having them go back and fix it. I think yeah. that's a better way for the author to learn. And especially with fiction, I don't want to impose my voice on well, an yeah. author. I may say, this doesn't sound right, or I don't think this works, but I want the author to fix it. Mm. Yeah, because that, that, that was um, sort of what I was thinking about, um, the, the sound. Because I know someone asked me about, um, well, just one of their concerns. Because I always ask people, you know, sending you questions so that we can ask our, our guests on the show, the experts. And her question was regarding um, she wasn't sure how to find her voice. And I, I thought, I wonder if you, when someone edits, if their voice overtakes your voice or do they sort of understand your voice and <laughs> edit in the way. But as you've explained, um, you give the feedback and it's for the, in, in this case, the author to go back and make a few amendments. Right. And any time an author is engaging 
someone else, whether it's an editor, a copy editor, a proofreader, you really need to have a good conversation with that person so that you're both exactly clear on what the editor is going to do. It's not just, okay, here's my manuscript, go ahead and edit it. You really need, especially I think with authors who are new to the process, you may know you need to have an editor. You may not know exactly what that editor is going to do. So it's really critical to have that conversation with the person who's going to be editing your book. So you both have a, the editor really understands what you want and you understand what you're going to get from the editor. Mm, okay. Well, that's really useful. That's really useful because sometimes people don't know how to engage in the process and they don't know at what point should they get the editor. Is it after they've finished after the first draft or sometimes people think they're finished and it's like, no, that that's actually your first draft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you've only gone through your first draft, it's still a first draft. And it probably, again, a reason why I like to set my fiction aside for a little while is you need that distance from it. You need to be able to go back and say, yeah, I, I mean, I did that when I was doing my second draft. I added scenes that weren't in there before. I took out scenes that I thought no longer fit. I had a whole prologue that was almost 2,000 words. And I was so proud of it when I wrote it. <laughs> when I went back to read it after a couple months, I ended up cutting the whole prologue because it just didn't fit anymore. It didn't add anything to the story. So I took it out. That's what that distance can give you. Yep, there you go. So if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Susan Steele. Susan is an author coach and the founder of Write Your Genius. And for the past 25 years, Susan's been writing and editing communications of all types. So for the listeners out there, how can they work with you? So the best thing to do is to schedule a free discovery call with me. I will talk to anybody about their book. You can ask me any questions that you have. So far, all the authors that I've worked with are self-published, mm. um, which is great. I love that self-publishing has really lowered the bar and made publication so much more affordable and accessible to so many people. The downside of self-publishing is that there are a lot of steps and there's different people that you need to engage. So I'm always happy to talk with a potential author to have them ask me any questions. I love hearing what people might be considering writing about. During that discovery call, I can share how I work and what I think I can help them with. And we can decide if it's going to be a good long-term relationship. So I'm on LinkedIn, I have my website, and I know, Lisa, you'll have all of that information as well as my email address in the show notes. Yep, it will be in the show notes. But for those of you that have got a pen, perhaps, um, Susan's email is susan, S-U-S-A-N, at write your genius. And write is W-R-I-T-E, as in actually writing, write your genius. And that's the same with the website, writeyourgenius.com. You are listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton. Please do subscribe to, like, and share this channel. So that's brilliant. So, Susan, final um, words of, of wisdom, would you say? Because you, you write a lot, obviously, and you must, and you know, you do read a lot, voracious reader. So, what would your message be to the would-be writers out there? Because this is something you've been doing for a long time, and like you say, with the the self-publishing, there's been a lot more activity in in the space in in the sector. I'm sure you've seen over the years. Again, I think mm. I love that self-publishing has really changed the publishing world. It makes it so much more accessible to so many people. For me, no matter.
matter what type of writing you're doing, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, you need to know what you're going to write before you ever sit down in front of your computer. Mm. I actually talked with an author last week who he wanted to write a book. So he sat down and he was really excited and he wrote the first chapter and then he got stuck. And that's usually because you don't really know where you're going to go. I love it that authors have that enthusiasm when they start out with. But to me, you really need to, you need to figure out why you're writing this book. And you need to know what this book is going to do for you. And you need to have some idea where you're going. If it's nonfiction, you must write from an outline. I don't think there's any other way to do it. If you're writing fiction, you need to have a really good idea of where you want to go before you sit down and start writing. Okay. Very wise, very good words of advice there. I think that will really help all of those out there that are stuck and are, are wondering why they're stuck. We've got to have an outline, we've got to have a guide. So, thank you very much, Susan. It's been a pleasure talking to you. you and so, <laughs> thank you. And so, listeners, the website is writeyourgenius.com. Susan can be emailed susan at writeyourgenius.com. Susan is on LinkedIn, Susan M. Steele. And on Instagram, susan.m.steel. On Facebook, under Write Your Genius. And there's a Pinterest board, Susan M. Steele has got pins on, on Pinterest. So that concludes another episode of the Authors Podcast. I've been your host, Lisa Newton. Thank you very much for tuning in and I will see you next time. You have been listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton, sponsored by Boogles Limited. Tweet the show at Boogles underscore books, spelled B-O-O-G-L-E-Z underscore books. You can also contact your host via the email address lisa at lisanewton.co.uk. And if you want to join our authors community, join the inner circle at www.writerbook.net You have just been listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton. See you next time.